Welcome to the Dreamcatcher Podcast, a place where you'll receive a boost of inspiration, practical advice, and tools to maximize your success and personal happiness. And that's not all. You'll also get plenty of guidance on how you can use your gifts, talents, and compassion to contribute towards making the world a better place. Be sure to sign up for our free weekly newsletter for a preview of what's in store and to also receive a free ebook. To sign up, simply visit www.thedreamcatch.com. Now it's my pleasure to introduce you to the host of the Dreamcatcher podcast, Celine Chinoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dreamcatcher podcast, a place where your dreams can find a voice. Narcissism is on the rise. We see it in people we know, influencers, celebrities, politicians, and even from time to time in ourselves. The drive to self-promote has seduced many people to become someone they're not. But there is a powerful tool that we can use to defeat it, humility. Based on the latest science, Daryl Van Tongeren sheds a light on this ancient virtue in his book titled Humble. He's here to unpack his findings on this very important topic. Daryl R. V. Tongren, PhD, is an associate professor of psychology at Hope College. As a social psychologist, he has published over 160 scholarly articles, co-authored The Courage to Suffer, and currently serves as associate editor for the Journal of Positive Psychology. His research has been covered by the New York Times, Washington Post, and NPR affiliate radio stations. In this interview, we will do a deep dive into humility, how ego has become pervasive in our culture, and what we can do to keep it in check as we advance in our lives and teach it to our younger generations. Daryl will speak about the types of humility and how it can build confidence, help us achieve success, and make our world a better and kinder place. If you like what you heard, please don't forget to like, rate, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Thanks. Hi, Daryl. How are you today? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, yeah. I'm so happy that you're here with us. Uh, I just finished reading your book, uh, Humble, and I have to say that I'm just so happy that a book like this exists because it is really, really needed right now. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks so much. I actually stumbled upon it by chance, um, and I immediately knew that I had to have you on the show to talk about it. So uh, I'm glad that you're here with us. Yeah, I'm so glad to be able to chat with you about this. Great, great. So, Daryl, let's start by talking about the inspiration behind the book. Um, why did you choose to dedicate your book to promote the virtue of humility? And uh, why was it important to you? Well, there's really two things. So one was I started getting interested in humility in graduate school. So I'm a social psychologist. I have my PhD in experimental social psychology. And one of the things I focus on is virtues. And some colleagues and I started studying humility about a decade ago when we 
were doing research on forgiveness, and really what we saw was the the people that were most likely to forgive and be forgiven were the people that w- were humble. And so we thought, you know, there's probably something about humility that's really important for maintaining relationships. And then after doing about a decade of research uh, and watching research in this area proliferate, I really thought, you know, it's so countercultural right now, and it's it might be exactly what we need in this cultural moment to highlight what science has revealed and ancient wisdom has long suggested, and that's humility really is transformative and can change our lives, and it can change our neighborhoods, our workplaces, and hopefully can change our societies for the better. And so for me, it was a bit of showcasing what research has documented over the past decade in a time that I think is is so critical for us to get the message about the power of humility. Mm. And why do you think it's important right now? I think there are a number of of things that are coming together. So one is, I think we're in the midst in Western and individualized countries in particular, in the midst of a bit of a, a narcissistic epidemic. So I think we are all becoming increasingly more self-focused, self-aggrandizing. And sadly, we're putting our self-worth in the hands of other people. We're judging how worth, worthy or valuable or loved we are based on uh, things well outside of our control. So our wealth, our appearance, our fame, our, our notoriety, things that really are misplaced sources of, of worth and value. The second is, I think because of that, we're more isolated, we're more lonely, we're depressed, we're anxious, we have a a mental health uh, endemic uh, set of problems. And really what this is spilling over in is an inability for us to interact with and even have discussions with people who are different from us. And so we're creating increasingly narrow sets of conversation partners, and we're interacting with people who differ from us with vitriol and disdain. And and really, it's heartbreaking. And and it's really tearing apart a lot of different societies. Oh, yeah, I totally agree with you. And we'll dive into that deeper. But before we move forward, um, can you define humility for us? Because a lot of people will hear that word, and I'm sure that they have their own idea what that means. Uh, You even said that Based on your research, some people consider it an antiquated idea with no real bearing on modern life. So everyone will have their own preconceived notions of what that means and what humility, the behavior of being humble constitutes. So can you just clarify what you mean by it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like you mentioned, there are a lot of myths around humility. A lot of people think humility is being humiliated or thinking too lowly of yourself. And really, I think of humility in two ways. One one way to think about humility is it's being the right size in a situation. Not too big, so not narcissistically arrogant, but also not too small, right? So not shrinking down when you should be taking up space uh, in a particular situation. So it's being the right size. Another way to think about humility is it's our ability to know ourselves, check ourselves, and go beyond ourselves. So to know ourselves is to have a self-awareness in which we acknowledge our strengths and our weaknesses, the things we're good at and the areas where we should probably grow. To check ourselves means that we rein in and we hold back on our selfish impulses. 
And then to go beyond ourselves is really to think about and prioritize the needs of other people so that they're equal to our own. So in any different interaction or situation, I'm not just caring about making sure I get my needs met. I'm making sure I get the needs of other people met as well. Okay. And you said that there are four types of humility, right? There really are, right. So where we see humility the most uh, the most is in these four domains. So the first domain is what we might call relational humility. And this is when humility shows up in our in our interpersonal relationships with our romantic partner, with our family, with our friends. Basically, the degree to which we're humble and can get a, get along with other people and we value them as equals. The second is what's called intellectual humility. And this is when uh, we're, we're discussing ideas or politics or religion. And really, it's our ability to change our mind and be open-minded to align our views with sufficient evidence. And so if I'm wrong, will I admit that I'm wrong and change my mind? And then can I present my views in a way that are that's not oh, yeah. that's so needed right now with the way things are it's so polarized you know people are just not willing to <laughs> you know listen there, to someone else on the other side yeah you're you're absolutely right you're right we we dig in our heels and we say why well, yeah. we're right and the other people are wrong yeah um, the third pretty closely related to this uh is what researchers call cultural humility and so with cultural humility we're thinking about a, a, a realization and an acknowledgement that my cultural worldview, the way that I view the world, is just one of many ways of viewing the world. And it's not inherently superior or dominant to other ways of seeing the world. And instead, I can approach other people who might be different from me with an appreciation and a curiosity to learn from their cultural backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then so finally, just don't be ethnocentric, essentially. Exactly, right. So don't don't show up and be like, oh, well, this is the only way of doing things and my way is, is the best, right? Don't be ethnocentric. Um, and really kind of, can how can we draw on viewing diversity as a strength um, rather than a threat? I love that, yeah. And then finally, uh, the last is uh, existential humility. And, and this shows up oftentimes when we're in nature or when we're relating to something larger than ourselves. So for those who uh, identify as being spiritual or religious, they might uh, more easily recognize this. And so this is just kind of uh, feelings of awe and wonder in recognizing our, our relative smallness in the universe. Um, sometimes I love feeling just really, really small and I'm looking out and over the... Me the, too. The, uh, Yes. Yeah, big expanses of nature, looking at the yeah. stars and just feeling There's like, nothing more humbling than yeah, knowing your that, place in the universe. <laughs> that's right. Really it's pretty small. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that really kind of helps keep us in check, right? So as, yes. as important as I think I am and as monumental as my problems seem to be, they always kind of get readjusted when I'm, when I'm in that mode. So mm-hmm. yeah, th- those are the four domains. So relational, uh, intellectual, cultural, and okay. existential. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for summarizing that. In the book, um, you do go into detail and you actually actually talk about how we can develop each one of those those types of humility. And Daryl, one of the insights you you found out was really, really interesting to me. You say that cultural narratives on how to live a meaningful life and build self-esteem are couched within the broader context of narcissism. And you know what? I intuitively was was sensing this, you know, I've been doing this work for a while now. And I'm like, I I can see that I can totally see that. So can you please describe your findings and what you learned? 
Yeah. So a lot of the ways that we've uh, been oriented to to find meaning or develop a sense of self-worth or self-esteem really have been rooted in, in kind of a me-centric, a, a narcissistic orientation. So the degree to which I think that I'm important because I'm better than other people, or I have a higher status, or my hierarchy is is more than other people. And so whenever we link our worth, our value, our sense of meaning in dominating or being superior to others, it's necessarily going to result in us subjugating them or derogating them or somehow putting them down. And really what that creates is this uh, system of of injustice and imbalance. And it also moves my self-worth out of my own hands and really into the hands of other people. Because I'm always putting my sense of worth or value or esteem based on my relative standing to others. And, And that's not something that I can control. And so humility is rather countercultural. And in fact, I would argue it's a bit liberating in that what humility does is it starts with a secure awareness that I'm already enough. I'm already worthy. I'm already loved. And if I start from a place of enoughness, right, realizing my right size, not too big, not too small, but whatever size I am, that's the right size and that's enough, then I can approach others without defensiveness, with a sense of gratitude, a sense of open-mindedness. And it really transforms how I interact with other people. Yeah. But how do we keep that in mind? You say in the book that the, that our societies are designed to reward self-aggrandization, aggrandizing behavior, and it takes int- intentionality to live differently. So, I mean, is it possible to remain humble in a world that really favors self-promotion and power? Yeah, you know, I, I joke when I tell people that I study humility, the thing that they say is, oh, humility, that's what I really want my friends or my partner to be, right? <laughs> so we like other people to be humble because humble people are great to be around. You know, we mm-hmm. can trust them. They make great yeah. friends. They make terrific leaders. But I think what they're trying to, to convey is it feels very vulnerable to be humble, Right, and yes. it, and it takes a lot of um, risk to be vulner- to to be humble, because really, what people are worried about when they're when they're asking this question is, am I going to get exploited? Right, if I'm humble, is there someone around me who's going to take advantage of me? Right, are but you I being naive? That, that's exactly right. Yeah. Right, like if the rest of the world is doing this, am I just going to look like a fool for trying to be humble when everyone else is making sure that they're taking, uh, and I'm not getting anything? And I would say that, you know, humility, it it can run the risk of exploitation if you're pairing up with someone who's particularly narcissistic or if you're with someone who is exploitive. And so I do think that we need to be wise about deploying our humility. And there might be some situations where, um, especially in exploitive relationships, where humility might not be the best virtue uh, at that moment. Maybe what we need is courage in that moment, and humility can come later. So I certainly don't think that humility will fix all of our situations. But I think humility does have the opportunity to be radically transform- transformational, even in a society where I think the, the quote-unquote moving sidewalk is always going to move us toward narcissism or self-aggrandizing. Right. Our, our, our culture does reward narcissism, but I'd like to think about that more as, you, as kind of a, a sugar-based 
insufficient diet, right? So like if you're a little kid, you know, the thing you want for breakfast is candy, right? And if you eat candy as a little kid, you're going to be hungry in like half an hour, right? It's not going to sustain us. And so the net, and so what little kids would want is like more and more and more candy, but that's not nutritious. It's not, it's not contributing to a, like long-term health or well-being. And no one would have a diet c- consisting completely of just sugar or candy. That's what the little boost of a narcissistic culture gives us. It's very small. It's, it's, it's not good for our health. Uh, and it satisfies only momentarily. And so what we're, what we're, we end up doing is we get yoked to this affirmation, this narcissistic affirmation. And we keep having to come back for more, for more, for more, and for more. Humility is kind of like a longer nourishment for us. It improves our well-being over time. We, we're not bound to others to keep getting this affirmation. And it's much better for our well-being and for our relationships. And so while it's hard and while there is a risk for exploitation in certain situations, uh, I do think that it's something that we can cultivate without being uh, naive or without being taken advantage of. Mm, I love that. And how do we do it in a world where it doesn't seem so attractive, so sexy? Because right now, I've noticed that influencers and celebrities are massively narcissistic. And it's so disturbing to me because I try to promote the virtue of humility on my platform. But then I see some major influencers, even in the field of personal growth and spirituality, who really, they do seem very narcissistic. And I really don't know, like, how do we set an example when you have such big names with a major platform and a major reach really trying to they're trying to model this behavior that, hey, it's okay to put like 50 photos of yourself in one week on Instagram and, you know, not have a lot of substance to it. How do you do that? I know it's a, I know it's a tough question to answer, but like, what are some of the steps we can take to actually be that voice that starts, starts creating that wave of change? Yeah, I, I love that. And I really appreciate your honesty and your vulnerability there. Um, and and I, I appreciate, you know, and when I chat with people about this, I, I hear a similar thing. A lot of them say what you say. They say, gosh, there's like these these folks that are so self-promoting and it seems that's what everybody wants. But when I have an honest conversation like we're having, they say, but I know that down deep, that that's not, that's not real, that's not authentic, or that's not lasting. And we know that that's not the way that life should be. And so you know, I, I think it's a little it's a little bit of what can we do for us and then how can we respond to them? You know, what we can do for us is we can start being that change, right? We can start by modeling a different version of what it looks like to be secure in ourselves. And that security doesn't have to look like narcissistic self-promotion. And then we should just be aware of how we're interacting with and whether or not we're rewarding people for narcissistic displays. I think that to the degree that narcissism continues in, in, in any cultural or societal context, we have to ask ourselves, what part are we playing in rewarding narcissistic displays? Like, are we, are we liking their, what, what they're doing? Are we providing them affirmation for being narcissistic? Or are we saying, you know, I'm really going to, I'm going to turn my attention and my interaction and my affirmation towards people who are more authentic and more humble. So, you know, 
a lot of people, uh, to be honest, the, the first study that I did to, to get into this really was, was because I was chatting with some people about humility and someone said, well, everybody knows that what people want in romantic relationships is they want the flashy, narcissistic you know, person. They want the person who's oozing with confidence. Narcissism is sexy and that sells. And I was like, gosh, is, is, that, is that really true? So the first study we did was we, we set it up like a mock dating profile. And we had people rate a profile of somebody who was either uh, arrogant or humble. And overwhelmingly, people wanted to be with the person who was humble. They rated the profile higher and more likely to share their phone number, want to meet this person. We replicated it again and, and found the exact same thing. And so even though on the surface, it seems like narcissism sells and narcissism is attractive, Anybody who's been in a long-term relationship with a narcissist know that knows that, that that gets old really fast. And that's no way to have a long-term relationship. Um, what's more appealing, what's more valuable, and what stands the test of time is someone who's vulnerable, who's authentic, and who treats you as an equal. And so part of it is us as a, as a community, us as people who are having conversations in this space, starting to, to dismantle the myth that narcissism is healthy, that narcissism is normal. We need to, to not make narcissism the norm. We need to make humility, authenticity, and vulnerability the norm and, and, and kind of act concerned when people engage in solely narcissistic displays. Yes. Yeah, I love that. And how do we teach this to younger generations who are growing up in a world of TikTok, Instagram, all these social platforms? They're in the thick of yeah. it. Unfortunately, they, they, really are. They, they really are. You know, um, I, 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 you know, I'm going to probably going to date myself a bit. I'm, I'm really grateful that I, I made it through high school without social media. Right. Me like, too. I don't, Me too. I, I don't know what I would have done. I, I probably would have done terribly. Like <laughs> I can't imagine all the things I would have said or the things that, you know, others would have recorded. And, right. And I'm grateful that I've grown and I'm not the same person that I was. Mm-hmm. And sadly, we don't often give a lot of grace um, to others. And, and I think that if we could engage others with with a sense of empathy, really empathy is the key to humility. If anybody wants to develop humility, the first place to start is empathy. And that's taking someone else's perspective and imagining what they would what they're feeling in a given situation, right? And so for for younger generations who are growing up inundated with with narcissistic images, whether that's TikTok, yeah, and role Instagram. models too. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Some of the top celebrities right now they they are not role models for humility at all. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I look back during the fifties and the sixties, or even the forties, even like when you had like an Audrey Hepburn or stars like that who embodied that kind of more down to earth, grounded personality, that grace. And you compare that to the celebrities today, and I'm just like, okay, how is this going to impact the, right. the generation, the younger generations, and what can right. we do about it? Right, and, and and even when people say like, oh, those you know those traits were so antiquated. Well, we're still talking about her. We still know who she is, right? Even though it's antiquated, yeah. I don't think it is. But Queen it has Elizabeth power, right? So how do we how do we teach this to the, to the you know, to the or how do we have conversations, right? To with this next generation, my sense is that this these younger generations have quite a bit to teach us about humility. My sense is that they 
also see some of these narcissistic displays. And, you know, chatting with chatting with my students right now, so I'm a college professor, and, and my students, they know that most of what they see online and in social media is largely tilted towards narcissism. And it's, you know, it, it's not an accurate reflection of reality. And they also admit being affected by it. So, you know, just because they're aware that it's not an accurate reflection of reality doesn't mean that they're necessarily uh, immune to it. And so, you know, I think part of this is having honest discussions about what it, you know, what it takes to be authentic and, and vulnerable. You know, I, I, I see that there are some efforts on TikTok about sharing more authentically, sharing more vulnerably. Um, if we can have more of those conversations and less about how I'm doing everything right or all of my successes, but also share, you know, some of the the ways in which my life hasn't turned out like I hoped, or I took a more wandering path to get where I where I am today. I think those might be helpful avenues of cultivating humility and authenticity. Mm. So being more authentic in the things that we post. Yeah, you know, I, I think there's this there's this idea. Um, that when we look at people we admire, we only see their path towards success, right? We think that success is like this nice linear slope up, as opposed to these huge steps down or walks backwards or confusing turns, right? It's almost like when you hike up to a mountain, you're not quite sure how you get there. And then once you get to the top, you can look back and you're like, oh, that was my path. But when you're hiking there, the path is just one step after the next. And so being more honest about how we got to where we are or what we're struggling with or things in life that didn't go our way, right? Um, in academia, there there was a, a push a few years ago to have resumes of failure. So what are all the things that you tried for and didn't get? What are all the rejections that you had professionally? Just to normalize that rejection, failure, setbacks, are just a regular part of anybody's life, whether personally or professionally. We all have bad days, bad months, bad years, or we have things that we want that don't turn out the way we wanted them to be. We have things that are colossal failures, rejections, um, or things that didn't go our way. Right. So sharing those experiences and what you learned from it as a result of going through it. Yeah, that, that that's exactly right. You know, when my I, I talk to my students, so I have, I have students who are applying to graduate school, and I just remind them. I say, yeah, I applied to net nine graduate programs and got rejected from eight, but mm -hmm. I got into one. Right, rejection is just kind of a normal part of of jobs. It's a normal part of life. Um, yeah, but at the same time, you don't want them to slip into victim mentality because that is also a form of narcissism, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So if we always make things about ourselves and about how the world is out to get us, <laughs> that you know that that's also can can be kind of a, a self centered right. way of viewing the world. And so, I think where where we have empowerment is we get to choose how we respond to situations. We can't respond. We can't choose what life does to us, and we can't always choose our circumstances. But we can choose our responses, and that's very empowering, right? I can't choose into what family or when I was born, but I can choose my responses to my family or or to how others treat me. There is always going to be autonomy and authenticity in how I, or opportunities for authenticity in my own response. And that's right. I don't have to be a victim to my circumstances. Uh, I, I can I can be um, 
an empowered participant in my own response. Great. Thank you. Thank you for that, Daryl. That's that's so, so helpful. And you also say that humility will help us as a civilization uh, on a macro level. You believe that we need humility to bring about social change and innovation and find common ground among deep divisions in our world. So can you explain how how we can do that and how we can be part of that change? Yeah, so uh, you know, two things come to mind. So the first is that any type of either technological, medical, scientific advance that we've had has started from a place of intellectual humility, of us saying, I don't know, but I'm curious, right? So, hey, do you think we can ever get to the moon? Well, we can't right now, but let's get there. And then, you know, folks got to the moon, right? You know, or is there a way that we can communicate rather effortlessly with people around the world, right? Telecommunications. So starting with a place of, I don't know, but let's get curious, has been responsible for most of the significant and scientific advances. The other place where I really think that we need it are exactly what you mentioned. Some of these deep divides that we're seeing along lines of religion, politics, uh, ideology, we're becoming increasingly more entrenched in our worldviews, in part because we're really selective in the people that we have conversations with. And technology creates algorithms that allow us to just exist in echo chambers that feed us information that confirm what we already believe. And then we select friends based on whether or not they agree with what we believe. I have heartbreaking stories of friends, I'm sure you know similarly, friends whose families have disowned them or they've disowned their families based on religion or politics, mm-hmm. right? Or okay. certain views about the world and it's and it's dividing families. And so what, what ends up happening is because we don't really interact with people who are different from us, we've kind of stopped knowing how to do that in a healthy and productive way. We, we've stopped having healthy and productive disagreements or dialogues or conversations. And instead, instead, what we usually do is wait for someone else to finish talking so we can just interrupt them and share with them why our view is right and why their view is wrong. And so what we need is we need a, an actual acknowledgement of our own limitations and the ways in which we can acknowledge we don't always know. We're not always right. Most of us have beliefs that in some degree contain some type of error or aren't completely holding the truth, myself included. I'm trying my best, but there's no way I've got it all right. I'm not even close. And we have to admit that, and we have to admit that there's, there is a lot that we can learn from other people, right? That we have something to learn from others, even when they're holding views that are, seem radically different from our own. And finally, we have to remain committed to the belief that we're interacting with someone else who's also a human, who's also worthy and is also enough. And we can't dehumanize others. We have to remember, you know, there's a reason why they're believing what they're believing. Maybe they're also trying their best in the situation. And can we give them that type of grace and affordance? And so I think interacting with intellectual and cultural humility I think is paramount. I think if we don't do that, we're going to continue to see deep divides and we're going to see families and societies and and, uh, cultures fractured by these divisions. Yeah, and we need leaders also who embody these qualities and who are willing to listen, you know, to the other side and to other people from other countries as well. Yeah, we really do. And a lot of, you know, 
and that's where a fair amount of work has been done. And people are often quite surprised because they, they usually think, oh, we need a leader who's bold and is, and is unwavering. But research Machiavellian. is incredibly. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the research says the opposite. What we need are open-minded leaders, humble leaders, ones that care about uh, the people that they're serving rather than uh, just pushing through their own agenda. Yeah. Daryl, it's been so wonderful talking to you. Again, your book is so fascinating. And I, I think the work that you're doing is so important. And I, I thank you for sharing uh, some of it with us today. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the conversation. So for those of you who are interested in purchasing a copy of Daryl's book, Humble, um, you can find it wherever books are sold and on Daryl's website, DarylVanTongeren.com. Uh, the links will be in the description box. Okay, Daryl, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thanks, you as well. Thanks, bye. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed what you just heard, please subscribe to my podcast and feel free to share it with your friends and family. Take care and speak soon.